right. Morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. So this is our final sort of teaching week for this. What has this been? 18, 19 weeks. It's been a long, a long haul. It was only after um, when I first connected with Eric and agreed to help teach a class that I realized there were options for classes that are like eight or nine weeks. I just assumed they were all you know this long. Um, so anyway, I think I had talked to Josh and he's like, "Oh, is your class wrapping up?" I'm like. No, I think we just got through the intro. Why is yours wrapping up? He's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just like a short four or five week thing. So thanks for hanging in there with us. Um, so we'll we'll spend some time working through some topics today, and then next week for our, our final week together, we'll just be discussion, sort of uh, wrapping up everything that we've talked about, sort of fleshing it out, maybe asking some some questions, probing some things a little further. So uh, today we're going to talk about the concept of reconciliation and renewing or releasing relationships. So we wanted to set aside this specific topic for its own, its own session. And very intentionally when um, Dwayne, Mary, and myself had sat down and were sort of thinking about this course, we did not want to put, even put reconciliation in the title of the course because we wanted it to be very clear that these are separate topics separate concepts, separate experiences. They are absolutely interconnected, but they are not the same thing. And we would be uh, amiss to, to conflate the two and assume that one necessarily always or must lead to, lead to the other. Uh, but I think it's really important to talk about, and so we'll, we'll do that today. Um, if you recall, a few weeks ago we talked about and, and have brought this up in, in several of our classes, sort of this fourfold path of forgiveness that we've been walking through, um, the, the steps of, of naming the hurt and telling the story and extending forgiveness. And that fourth sort of step, if you will, though I don't love that language, but the phase, whatever you want, want, kind of want to say, the fourth part of that is uh, either renewing or releasing the relationship. So that's what, what we'll spend some, some time with today. Everything that we have talked about up to this point regarding forgiveness and, and those first sort of three parts of the fourfold path of forgiveness can be done separate from, independent to, the other party. So the offender may never have apologized, may never have owned up to his or, or her uh, wrongdoing. And as difficult as that is, uh, we, are not, uh, we are no longer attached to the power that that person has has over us when we choose to engage in forgiveness, as we've talked about. And so thank God we do not have to wait to begin acts of healing uh, until that person owns up to, to his or her wrongdoing. So again, everything we've talked about up to this point, we can do, I wouldn't say on our own, it requires others. Um, it requires us together as a community and our connection with God, but it doesn't require the engagement uh, with the other person. Reconciliation, however, absolutely does. Both parties are going to have to be involved. Both parties are going to have to be at the table and willing to walk through this really difficult, um, messy, beautiful process together. Um, I came across a story recently that was so powerful of um, a woman and then the man who had raped her and they, this had happened when they were um, 16 and 18, respectively. And now, I think it was maybe 10, 12, 15 years later, uh, they had come together 
because she had continued to walk through such grief from this assault and really felt like in order to complete this healing process, she wanted to have some sort of engagement with the man who had harmed her so deeply. He also um, held significant shame and guilt for this act that he had done in as much as he would allow himself to even um, remember consciously what, it, what had happened. So they chose to, to come together and spent even a few days just connecting, sort of hashing through things. Um, ultimately, they ended up writing a book about it, which I think is soon to, to come out. And they uh, had delivered a, a TED Talk together recently, where here they are, these two, two people standing on a stage together talking about not only the incident that happened in that particular night, but things that, that had led up to that, that had sort of contributed specifically to him, uh, for him that had contributed to everything that occurred in that moment, and then what was the, the aftermath in, on both of their, their parts. Um, it required both parties to be able to be involved in this sort of reconciliation. It required um, that the, the woman who had been victimized, that she walk through the process of forgiveness. It required that the man who had assaulted her name and own up to his horrific wrongdoing. And then it required time for them to sort of work through this together. And the beautiful thing, I think, about this is that they were able to then invite others into their experience of walking out of darkness and into light. Um, this was not an easy or flippant experience by any means, and it certainly wasn't through a snap of the fingers that all of a sudden they were okay. It took a lot of time. But really, I thought a remarkable, beautiful, and compelling story of, of the possibility of forgiveness leading to reconciliation and the continued uh, possibilities that that, that opened um, them and others up to, um, but again, highlighting that it required both both people for that that level of reconciliation. Um, so I just want to uh, mention a few sort of <coughs> reminders about the concept of reconciliation, and some of these will pick up themes that we've we've talked about all along regarding regarding forgiveness. But uh, reconciliation is neither cheap nor easy. This is not a, a sort of, uh, okay, let's, let's kiss and make up sort of thing, right? That's not what reconciliation is. It's not quick, it's not fast, it's not cheap. It requires significant work and time and commitment and energy and grace and continued forgiveness. Uh, it doesn't happen fast, it doesn't happen overnight. There may be starts and uh, fits and starts and fits and starts. Uh, we may need to pause the process for a time. Uh, it's complex. Again, it's not easy. Reconciliation requires imagination. I'll submit that anything that we are called to as followers of Christ requires to some level um, imagination to see the world differently, to see our lives differently, to see our circumstances, that they could, in fact, be different. We talked um, months ago at this point now about the kingdom of God and that being the story in which we orient everything that we do. It requires imagination to see the kingdom of God because it's so different in so many ways than the reality that we see each and every day, the reality that we, we live in. Similarly, in order to be reconciled 
to one another. I think we're, we're going to have to have our imagination sparked to say, how could this look differently? Because <coughs> we've spent so much time in what it, what it is, thinking through the hurt and naming and telling that story, and those are essential parts of this, uh, that, that sometimes we sort of have to almost step back from that a little bit and say, I know very well now what has been, what could be. We have to ask some of those types of questions that, that spark our imagination to see, see the world a little bit differently, to see the circumstances a little bit differently. And the story I shared a minute ago of, of these two persons being, being reconciled, even a story like that helps to spark our imagination a bit to go, wow, what, what maybe could be, what maybe could come from the ashes of this, this situation. Reconciliation necessitates uh, truth-telling, requires absolute truth-telling. We've talked about this with forgiveness, that nothing that we're discussing has to do with sweeping anything under the rug. It is about pulling that rug back and saying, here's the dirt, let's talk about it. Uh, the same with reconciliation. Again, this is not quick or cheap or, or easy. It absolutely requires truth-telling on both the part of, of both parties involved. Um, there have been uh, seasons in, in Tim and, and my marriage that uh, we pursued counseling for various, various reasons and have found it immensely helpful. Honestly, I think if I could afford counseling, I would want to go every week of my life, right? Um, but it's been really helpful for specific seasons to have extra support and persons to walk us through certain things. And I remember very specifically um, one season where we, one of some of the exercises that, that Tim and I were, were doing were sitting down face to face and having to talk through in very specific detail what each of us was, was thinking and feeling. And to pull us out of the, um, the, the frame that we often get into, which is I'm listening just to the point that you stop so I can tell you what I'm thinking, right? that we absolutely had to sit there and, and Tim might go and say, here's what, I'm, here's what I'm feeling, here's what I'm holding. And rather than responding or defending or anything, I had to say, here's what I hear you saying. And then he could say, yes, that's it, or no, that's not quite it. And we would go until we got to, okay, here is your truth. We get down to the nuts and bolts, say, okay. And we might ask questions then about that. We would offer affirmation to say, I can now see or understand why you might feel this way. That makes sense to me after I've spent the time listening to your truth. And in doing so, I, we, if, as I was listening to Tim, I would set aside whatever I'm, I'm thinking or feeling in that moment so that I could hear him and be present to him. And we would work through that. And then we would switch roles. And Tim would, would set sort of his stuff aside and do the same thing to me and attend to me. To the point that it's, it's like you're getting so into the nitty-gritty, um, it, it almost seems silly at times, like you're literally having to detail all these little things, but immensely helpful to engage in that type of truth-telling in full detail. I give that as an example to say in order to have any sort of reconciliation, we have to be willing and both parties have to be willing to be that, that honest, uh, to both speak and name our truths and to hear the, the truths of of the others involved. Reconciliation requires a large-scale exploration of the circumstances that led to the injustice in the first place. 
to go back to what we said ago, this is not cheap, this is not easy, this is not surface. We're going to have to get out our shovels and dig. We're going to have to figure out, okay, we know that this is what happened. These are the details because we've already done the work to, to name the truth and to tell the story. What, what roots do we need to address that fueled and led to these, these circumstances? So we've, we have referenced several times throughout this class um, the, the work of the Truth and Reconciliation Committee in post-apartheid South Africa, where you have this entire country trying to come to grips with the horrific realities of gross systemic racism that divided an entire country and that led to the, the death and um, oppression of so many people. Now you have a country going, what the heck are we going to do with this? And for all the work that the Truth and Reconciliation Committee did in South Africa, Desmond Tutu, who helped to head up this committee, said all of that would have been for naught and would have been essentially undone if, as a country, we did not also seek to figure out how did we get here in the first place? What was it that fueled and cultivated and nurtured this reality? And they had to take the axe to those roots and continue to have to take the axe to those roots. Um, I'll submit that this is part of why we as a country, if we, if we talk about reconciliation not just interpersonally but on a larger scale, this is part of why we as a country have so struggled to experience any sort of large-scale, meaningful racial reconciliation because as a nation we have so failed to do this type of work to say what are the roots here that are still under the soil that still continue to breed and to nurture and to grow injustice. We cannot simply say, well, sometimes a change, let's move on or let's shake hands and agree to be buddies. We've got to do a whole heck of a lot more work and introspection and offering and receiving forgiveness, right? We have to figure out, again, how did we get here in the first place? That's true whether we're talking about something on a national scale or on a one-to-one interpersonal basis. Reconciliation requires that type, uh, that level of, of work and engagement. Reconciliation must have a proper view of justice. What does justice mean? So I think I've, I maybe have shared the story earlier in the class, but when I was in um, undergrad, I remember uh, a course the professor had said, take out a piece of paper and draw justice. What is, what is justice? And most of the, the students in the class drew something that had to do with our, um, our punitive justice system, like handcuffs or, um, or a police officer or, or, or something like that. Um, but I had been spending enough time in the Hebrew prophets at that point, and it had my imagination just sparked and uh, ignited, that I thought, that just feels way too, too narrow. And I had just been spending time, again, in, in the prophets, where the images of um, people no longer living in fear, as, as the Hebrew prophets talk about, here's what it's going to look like one day when God restores all things. People no longer live in fear. There's no longer fighting or animosity. Everyone gets to sit under the, the fruit of their own fig tree. They have what they need. And I thought, I think that gets at a little bit more what justice is about. Um, 
the biblical view of justice is not simply here's the crime and here's the punishment. It is far more than just a punitive measure. It is about restoration. It is about a holistic and whole-scale healing. That when, uh, when it occurs, it is not just healing for the parties involved, it is healing for the world. As we've said, forgiveness opens up possibilities that existed, that did not previously uh, exist before. And so I think if we're going to commit to reconciliation, we have to have a broader understanding of what justice means. And justice is things becoming as they were meant to be. Injustice is anything that is not as God has intended it to be. Therefore, justice is helping to set things right, to align things the way that they were, were meant to be. I think we, again, have to have that image of reconciliation that is broader than just a, a punitive measure or else we're never going to be able to get past the wrongdoing that, that we either have done or has been done to us. We're never going to be able to move forward from that point in any sort of substantive, substantive way. So what would it look like to engage in reconciliation? Again, whether we're talking about ourselves and another party or on a larger scale, what would it look like for healing to take place here in a way, a way that sees my humanity is bound up with yours, my healing bound up with yours and that of, of all others? We believe as Christians that God is actively at work right now and has always been and will continue to be at work to bring about reconciliation. Uh, both our being reconciled to God, our being reconciled to one another, and our being reconciled to creation, to, to the entire world, the cosmos. God is at work to do that. So we've talked about previously that we are empowered then to join God in this work and to know it is not just us trying to figure this out. God is already doing this work and we get to join God in that work and to be empowered by, by God to, uh, to do it. And as much as God is doing this work and we see signs of it now, we see signs of the kingdom of God coming into our reality, there is that already, but there's also the not yet. There are also, and we could name a hundred examples right now of all the ways that we could go, the kingdom is not yet here, and the kingdom is not yet here, and it's not yet here. So as we think about reconciliation, we seek to engage in reconciliation, there are times where we're going to live into one or the other of those realities. We can go, I see the kingdom. It's already here. We see glimpses of, yes, this helps us see what things will be like one day when God restores all things. Thanks be to God. And there's times where we might have to lean into the not yet part of that. It's not yet here. The reason I bring that up is because um, as we talked about the options, I mentioned uh, a minute ago the options of renewing or releasing the relationship that option still needs to be on the table. Reconciliation, I think, is our best goal because it, it goes with the grain of what God's doing in the world. But there are times where it may not yet be possible. Um, in my dissertation work, I, I uh, interviewed survivors of female survivors of sexual trauma. One woman shared with me how um, after opening up to her father about what had happened to her by another family member, his first response was, 
well, boys will be boys. Horrific response. Even beyond the horror of that initial response, he continued to be in relationship with the other family member who had harmed her and acted as if there was nothing wrong with that. This is, I share that as an example to say the kingdom's not yet there and that space is not quite ready for this woman to experience full reconciliation with these, with these persons in her, in her family, right? What did you say? I'm sorry. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. There? I don't mean to derail where you're headed, but maybe this has got something to do with it. But so, kind of, there's this reconciliation table. If we're on the receiving end of hurt, as this young girl is, um, I'd love to hear what you think about what are the ordinary motivators for the perpetrator to come to that table. What what would what would motivate a person who's inflicted harm on someone else to come to the table? Maybe, maybe the answer lies within the TED Talk you referenced in that couple that, where he was motivated, but how and why. Mm. But I, I think that's, it's a rare thing, what you're talking about, mm. right? It's, it's rare for people to be willing to, um, come, if they're the perpetrator, to come to that table. But maybe in your experience, just tell us about what, what, what are the motivators? Mm. I don't see any. Yeah. I think back to uh, my my work with (coughs) trauma survivors, and for so many of them, they had been so deeply wounded and harmed by, obviously, other persons. And in so many of those cases, the person that had harmed them had themselves been harmed and were merely contributing to the same cycle that they themselves had been caught up in. And then here you have, even though this person had more power in this this relationship, the one who you could have looked at and said, this person was the powerless party in this this encounter. Here I'm working with 15 and 16-year-old girls who've been abused by family members, and they're the ones who are bravely saying, um, I'm going to choose to not contribute to that cycle, as we've talked about. I'm going to choose to forgive and to release and to chart a different path. Sometimes that was what then compelled greater experiences of healing within the family or within her community to see this act of, of bravery on this young woman's part. And to go back to what I said a minute ago, sometimes... I think the perpetrator was then able to see, not always by any means, but sometimes the perpetrator is then able to see the type of healing that this person has experienced and then desires the same for him or herself because it would not just be being, uh, it would not just be that he or she would then be able to receive forgiveness from the person that they had harmed, but they might be able to then extend forgiveness to the one who had harmed, harmed them. And, and see the, the ripple effects there. Um, sometimes that's, that's the case. Again, not, not always. But I think that's at least part of it, that there's something in us uh, where we desire to, to experience that type of healing. And when we see that others are experiencing it, it might spark our imagination to see it could be possible for us. That requires an incredible amount of humility and, as we said, a willing to name the wrongdoing that you've done. And for too many people, they're not willing to, to step into that.
yeah. Um, as I said, there's so many ways that we could look and say, <clears throat> the kingdom is not yet here. It's not yet, not yet here. Um, so I want to we'll talk about that for, for a second. But if you remember, we have talked about multiple times that the reason we even consider forgiveness is because we believe in human dignity. We believe that we, as human beings, are made in the image of God, and therefore we are um, created with inestimable value and dignity and worth. Therefore, we are worth walking through this process of forgiveness. And the person who, and persons who have harmed us, uh, they are also worthy of receiving forgiveness. Um, whether we can see that at the time or, or not. Um, but they also have human, human dignity. But again, because we have dignity, uh, there may be times where in order to protect that dignity that we have to establish boundaries around ourselves where reconciliation is not yet possible. The kingdom has not yet come here in its, in its fullness. It doesn't mean that God's not at work, but as it exists today, think that the, the, um, the soil is not yet ready to cultivate reconciliation. And so we might have to put boundaries around ourselves. The woman whose story I shared a minute ago, you better believe that that woman, in order to, um, to hold to her dignity as a human being that others had totally neglected, she had to establish healthy boundaries around herself. Until maybe at some point a time came that others then would be able to acknowledge her dignity and to walk with her through the process of reconciliation. Um, I'm not con convinced that that's any, any less godly of a, of a process or, or experience. We might need absolutely to put up boundaries to protect ourselves. This is not about becoming a doormat. Quite the opposite. This is about saying, I have dignity, and therefore I will seek to help protect that dignity. And then maybe other people around us, especially if there oftentimes are, are children involved, and we have to help protect their, their dignity. We might have to establish some really clear, clear boundaries. Uh, the nice thing about, one of the nice things about boundaries is that they are not permanent, that they can be changed. Sometimes there are boundaries that we set that nobody even knows that we've, we've set. It's not like we've articulated to the other person. It might just be something that we've, we've determined. Other times we might have to make it very clear to the person. This is the clear boundary that I've drawn, and until things change, here it is. Um, and again, they are not permanent. They can be flexible. They might shift. They might, they might move over time, uh, but they can be incredibly important to, um, to retain healing and to, to promote healing. So a couple of things regarding renewing or releasing the relationship. Uh, let me talk about releasing uh, first. This is not uh, saying, I'm just going to cut this person out of my life and forget that you know, this person ever existed. You can even see as I'm talking about that, what, the, the sort of emotions or the hurt that might be fueling that way of thinking about it. The reason we're talking about reconciliation at the second to last week of this is because we're assuming we've done this groundwork of forgiveness to get to this point then we, where we can say uh, from our place of, of healing and continue to be healed, I may need to just let this go. I may need to untie this cord and just release the connection I have with this person. That might be the best and healthiest response that we have in that 
in that time. Um, we may not have any you know, feelings of affection towards that, that person yet, and that's okay. Um, but we can, we still release it. We're not wishing that person ill or harm. We have extended forgiveness, but that's the best, the best option. And there are certainly circumstances where I think that's, that's the healthiest, the healthiest route. For the, the young women that I worked with, I would never, never want to um, push reconciliation on a young woman who has experienced incredible uh, trauma and, and, and violence and, and, and try to, to push that. There may be times where her, her perpetrator is just nowhere near the point of coming to that table. Um, and so we're going to, to seek healing in the reality that exists right now. As far as renewing the relationship, a couple things um, to, to think about. We're going to need to ask for what we need. Do we need an apology? Do we need a new way to exist in the relationship? Has our voice not been heard and therefore we need to say, if we're going to renew this relationship, I need to know that my voice matters. I need to know that I'm coming to this table as a full, full and equal partner and that the power differential that we've had, that we're, we're going to shift that. We might need a new way forward. Uh, do we need some time? Might we say, I'd like to consider renewing this, but I just need a little bit of space and time. That might be something we need. Do we need counseling? Do we need to bring other persons in to help support and guide us through this process? Think about what you might need and name that to the other person or persons. And then we might also need to discern what's needed from us. Um, there are times where, not always, not always, but there are times where when we have been harmed, we might also have caused harm to the other person. Uh, so we might, we're going to need to be willing, if we're going to engage in reconciliation, we're going to have to be willing to say, okay, not only what do I need from this other person, might, maybe what do they need from me? In what ways have I, if any, in what ways have I contributed to the circumstances here that then cultivated this sort of harm or, or injustice? And I keep highlighting that's not always true. Uh, which is important. Sometimes we have no part in it and are just blindsided and, and harmed. And there are other times, even if it's a small thing, when we, we might just acknowledge, here's a way that, that I maybe, maybe contributed to it. And if I'm going to, to um, engage in true reconciliation, we're going to have to put that on the table as well. So it requires that sort of humility and introspection on the part of both parties. Um, lastly, as I've talked about uh, the kingdom of God and where we see it and where it's not yet, not yet here, thanks be to God that all of this is possible, that forgiveness and reconciliation and healing uh, and even existing in relationship is possible because God is at work to restore and to redeem all things. And so we see glimpses in scripture, we see glimpses in our own lives where we see, yes, this helps us see what's, what's coming. When we see this couple standing on stage sharing their, their story and you're going, wow, that helps me see something, a, a different world is possible, a different world is coming where all things will, will be restored. New creation, the kingdom of God coming in its fullness, that helps give us both perspective when we're thinking about forgiveness and reconciliation and it gives us the power to do any of these things. The only way that I could, for myself or for others, think about 
concepts like forgiveness in the face of really deep wounding and harm. The only way we could even think about that is to know one day we won't even have to engage in that um, because the harm will no longer be and all things will be as they are meant to be. And so I'm going to seek to live into that, into that coming reality now. Um, to that end, I just want to read a, a scripture here from 2 Corinthians 5 that I know we're, we're well familiar with. But From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this from God, who reconciled us to God's self through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to God's self not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making God's appeal through us. That is incredibly powerful to consider that our God is willing to make God's appeal through us in the ways that we extend forgiveness and engage in reconciliation we get to experience new creation when we are in Christ. As it said, if anyone is in Christ, even there, you begin to see new creation. You begin to see the way things um, will be one day when all things are, are restored. And we get to join God in this, this work. Um, again, there are times where uh, there's still a lot of work that God's going to need to do to enable reconciliation. And it's not, it's not ready. It's not right at that time. And that's okay. But if we have chances to, to be reconciled, to experience reconciliation, I hope that we will pursue them. Because in those spaces, as this verse attests to, God is literally in that experience making an appeal to the world that we might all be reconciled to to one another. We have a couple minutes before we close. I know I've, I've shared a lot, but thoughts or questions before we, we close our time this morning. I wanted to go back to what William said um, just about how can we bring about the person wanting to reconcile. Mm. Yeah. And, um, 
beyond that, sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes everyone else is so ingrained, I would say, that it's like, why are you doing this? You're just causing trouble. Mm. Um, and at that point, I think there's an acceptance of you have to say, all right, they're going to keep pushing people away and being cruel to people until, uh, and you hate to pray this, but they come to a point of loneliness mm. and say, I need to change because I've, I'm alone because I've pushed all these people away and been so cruel to these people or whatever, or whatever mm. the situation is. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and then you just have to put your hands up and say, God, take it from here. Yeah. <laughs> so sure. those were just a couple of things about in situations I've seen and been in and, you know, that kind of thing of trying to bring about that reconciliation. Mm. But you were talking about rules. Sometimes you get to see mm. That's it. You don't treat me this way. Yeah. Or you won't see me. Sure. And it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Because those systems can be so ingrained and everybody can be so accepting of it. Mm. Right. Yeah, absolutely, Mary. Thank you for naming that. And I'll say even to name the injustice, the yes. wrongdoing, is part of joining in this new creation work to say, this is not as God has intended this to be, so I'm going to name that, and I refuse to be to participate in this anymore. Absolutely. And whether that, um, and that's a different option than reconciliation at that moment, it might be releasing the relationship, but it is still with the movement of leading towards what God's doing. Yeah. 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 Uh, a lot of, you know, when the rubber meets the road, this is a really difficult mm. families and interpersonal relationships because it's never just clear. It's just, mm. never, it's just never black and white. So I do think that you, know, you mentioned God being involved, and I think I think if, if God can grant the wherewithal and the grace and the, to, for us to achieve forgiveness, that's a huge blessing, of course, and he's, he's very much the giver of that, I'm convinced of. I think equally he's, he has to be the giver of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think there's, I, you know, we, we, we often turn to things like South Africa, I, I do all the time. It's a great model, but at the same time the power structure did shift and there was a motivator of amnesty. Mm-hmm. And if you allow this tr- truth to be told, you can seek amnesty. You can, as a perpetrator, you can be sort of off, not off the hook, but granted some protection. Mm-hmm. And so that was pretty. That was a pretty intense motivator. Sure. But for the kind of relationships we're talking about, these interpersonal things, mm-hmm. it's just tough to bring someone to that table who doesn't want to be there. And I just that's where I feel like our prayer has to be that God change their hearts and motivate them and work inside them and you're making some great points in that you can't control that you can't time that you can't even expect that Mm -hmm. it just it might happen it might not and that's just the toughest part about it Mm -hmm. and from a discipleship standpoint that you just you just have no control over Mm -hmm. over over that person's heart or their future and it I think that's where our imagination and our prayer has to just really call upon God to carve out some path that we just can't see. Because likely in these tough situations that we're all thinking of and probably not referring to, uh, yeah, it's just it's not black and white. No.
Anything else before we close? Um, let's just pray really quickly before we leave. God, you are at work among us. Help us to see it. Help us to join you in it. And for all that we are powerless to do or to control as it involves others, would you be at work in the midst of their lives, even as you are at work in the midst of ours? Bring us healing and help us contribute to the healing of all things. In the name of God the Creator, God the Savior, and God the Spirit. Amen.